Hello again, everyone, and welcome to what we're fairly certain will be episode 155 of the Inking Out Loud podcast, depending on our success with re-recording an episode uh, that we that we had to use as a buffer. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined as I always am by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, Drew and I, we head straight into a series by one of our most anticipated writers here on the Inking Out Loud podcast. This is now Low Town by Daniel Polanski, and... I've been excited to begin Polanski's trilogy myself since we covered and loved The Builders. This is yeah. the first half of the book here, and it's just flown by. I've been chomping at the bit to continue it without yeah. spoiling myself for the you know, honest reactions I want to give in the next episode. So, Drew, actually, really, in this episode, take it away with our weekly recap so I can continue this book after we're done. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so we read the first 21 chapters of Low Town, and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Things be wow. happening in Lowtown. Yeah, it's moving. Uh, so Lowtown, originally titled The Ch- the Straight Razor Cure, is the first volume in Daniel Polanski's urban fantasy series of the same name. Warden is a complicated man, the criminal kingpin of the slum in Regis known as Lowtown, where he is now a peddler of drugs and depravity. He once was a decorated soldier and member of the elite city police colloquially known as the ice when a young girl goes missing in lowtown the entire area mourns her when warden stumbles over her body in an alley with signs of dark magic looming lowtown is suddenly filled with suspicion warden himself runs into his old partner crowley and quickly realizes that he is a suspect he goes to visit his old friend the blue crane the kindly sorcerer who once saved lowtown from the plague many years before Now the teacher of Warden's childhood friend and fellow orphan, Celia, the crane can only help Warden in small ways. Whoever is doing the killing is covering their tracks thoroughly. Celia gives Warden an amulet to help him detect dark magic, and Warden sets off to find information despite Crowley's warnings. He tracks down a Chiron man who probably killed the girl, but before he can get answers, a demon from the void appears and kills the Chiron. Warden is even more a suspect now, and when a second girl is found murdered, Warden's old employers come calling. He's arrested and taken to their fortress, known as Black House, and their leader, called the Old Man, gives Warden an ultimatum. He must solve the case in seven days, or he will die, anonymously and probably screaming. Warden urgently works to find more information, using the street urchin Wren as a messenger and aid. He visits the Scryer's headquarters, called The Box, meeting Mariki, not sure I'm getting that pronunciation right, but uh, who reveals to him that the second girl's soul or essence or whatever was taken as part of the killing. Perhaps more chillingly, however, the girl was infected by the same plague the crane once eradicated. With his health, health failing, it appears to be making a return. With the clock ticking, Warden works to chase his only real lead, the nobleman Beaconfield, set off the dark magic-detecting amulet at a party, and Warden must find out just how involved the Lord is. To this end, Warden heads to Chiron Town to meet with Ling Chi, the Chiron Kingpin. After a formal and courteous argument, Ling Chi speaks straight. He will support Warden, but if Black House tries to interfere with his territory, he's going to retaliate viciously. Hmm. So, so it's good so far. It's great so far. Yeah. Um, I, like you said, I, I had to like pace myself, uh, 
because I wanted so badly to just cruise through this whole book. Yeah. I finished this pretty early in the day on my second uh, my second day of work this week since I go through audiobooks so quickly. And I had to find something else to listen to. So, because I, I, I actually, I realized what really happened was I got to chapter 23. I, I had realized it coming up to chapter 19 and 20. I was like, oh, I have to stop soon. Wow, this is, I'm not even halfway done my, my second day yet. But, uh, and then out of nowhere, I heard a chapter end and I heard chapter 23. And I had to stop and go, wait, 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 oh. wait, 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 hold on a second. Yeah, so I'm, I'm one chapter ahead, two chapters ahead, something like that. Give mm-hmm. or take. Who's counting? But um, yeah, it, the fact that I didn't even notice that was happening and it went by so much quicker than I thought it was it, it, itself as an opening statement, I think is pretty powerful about my experience in this book so far. Yeah, like it's it's an easy read. It's a fun read. Polanski has, uh, again, like the other stories we've read by him, uh, just wonderful n- narrative voice. Mm. Uh even though Warden is not a good dude, he's a drug addict, he's constantly huffing breath, you know, getting these vapors in his nose to to get him going. I I, I kind of get the impression that it's sort of like cocaine um, in its effect. It's, there's a few different ones that are being covered, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely yeah, yeah. marijuana, obviously, in, in this yes. narrative. Uh, Dreamvine. Dreamvine, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, there. he's... he's fallen a long way from his former former life uh and not a nice dude like kind of a jerk but also really funny and very entertaining to be in his head yeah yeah like on a sentence by sentence basis you know i I like the work just as much as i do for its ability to give a satisfying opening scene and a satisfying ending scene you know uh, for these chapters, he, I'm not surprised about that with Polanski. He's not. I'm not surprised at all with his ability to write a novel and write it well after our previous experience with the builders. Um, as far as the setting goes, I'm just not too thrilled by the setting. I feel that by now we, we've had enough of the dirty city and the street life and the whole grim, dark scene around it in fantasy. I myself, I'm just jaded on it. It's just, it's a subjective point I'm making here. It's just how many cities or how many slums really have we been through on this podcast alone? You know? Yeah. So that's an interesting point to bring up because uh, I, I actually have a note on something similar. Uh, and that is I I don't have a good feel for this city. Um, most urban fantasy uh, that I've read and enjoyed, the cities always have character to them. You think of Bulikov in in the Divine City. Yes. Like you, you haven't a strong image in your head of what Bulakov is like, you know, the city of stairs. Uh, or or you, for me, I think of um, Garrett P.I. Um, and of course, now that I'm talking about this, I just blanked on the name. Um, they're quarantine. Carenta uh, is the name of the nation. Oh my gosh. Tunfair. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> um, Tunfair. Like, is just brimming with character. There, there's so much going on. There, it's such a vivid setting. And here, I don't really get that. Like, I have a vague idea of like, all right, Lowtown's a slum, but like, it, there's nothing about the city that makes it pop off the page. I felt a lot about that, I think, with, I want to say Juniper in The Black Company. You you didn't think Juniper had character? No, I did. I think I, d- oh, I did okay. get that. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. I, like, I was like, man, that's... Comparing it to Bulikov, not here with Lowtown. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other side of your yeah. analogy. 
that Juniper or Taglios. You like Tag- again? Yes, like, yeah, just, yes, yes, yeah. Uh, there, there's something about something uh, about that foreboding structure in Juniper, or the, that area around it. It's oh like, yeah, oh mm, yeah, yeah. The two, the two mountains. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, but, but yeah. So Low Town, even though I'm enjoying the crap out of the story, it is almost entirely driven by the character and the plot, yeah. and not at all by the setting, which is strange for an urban fantasy. Like I've been waiting for something to pop out that makes. Regis, or or even just Lowtown, stand apart. Yeah, I'm just I, I I as again as much as I'm loving the whole like everything down to the microscopic level in in, in Polanski's applied voice here, uh, which I it's just something about this. I'm jaded on this whole dark and dirty city. People are living too close to one another. People are poor and starving, while the higher ups are ignoring it. Our protagonist, though, is a particularly street-savvy individual who deftly navigates around commonplace brutality. It's, And it's not particularly fair that I bring this up here at Polanski. This is not an issue with Polanski. It's not. I could have brought this up during a half dozen other series that I could name right now that we've already covered. I am just bringing it up here because I have to bring it up somewhere. I'm kind of bored of the setting. After three years of podcasting this way, I'm kind of bored of the setting. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah. Nothing against Polanski, though. It's That doesn't totally surprise me, to be honest, especially after we just did 17 books of Dresden. urban fantasy Dresden Files. No. Yeah. You know. Um, and, yeah, like, we, we took a little break with Dark Lord of Dark Home, but that, that was one <laughs> relatively short book. It was a lot of fun, right? <laughs> Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, that, honestly, the setting has been my biggest criticism of this book so far um not that i have many criticisms but that that is a i think a fairly substantial one and and i really hope he does something here in the second part to to make this city unique to make Mm. the setting just a little different from any other city and and if he doesn't manage to do that that will impact my overall rating of the book Spinning around and looking at, at the plot side of things, though, he's Polanski's, I think, doing a great job of seeding mysteries without making them um, too, too obfuscated <laughs> or without making them frustrating in their tantalizing nature. He doesn't feel a need, I don't feel like, to, to tease a bunch of things we don't know yet. I'm thinking, why does Warden have this disdain for authority? You know, and then we get pretty soon in, I missed that effing outfit. You know, it says everything that we wanted without needing to spell it out or save that reveal for later. We have who's who's murdered this child, providing this excellent first hook to the series as a chapter one closer. You know, we find out the warren traps him just chapters later. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, surely this is a misdirect. This chemical smell may be a coincidence, but the warren seems so certain. Are we about to see another one of these negative qualities of his? Fanaticism for revenge to a fault, perhaps? Nope, it's just the demon confirms it for us. Dude's guilty. Polanski, does, he just dispenses with, I, I think, a lot of opportunity for dramatic tension, which is really refreshing because it just doesn't feel like he needs to take those opportunities. And it makes me confident in some weird way that he does have bigger and better things to be hiding behind the scenes. Yeah, like he, he does a good job of pulling us along with this mystery where, where he... He doesn't keep us completely in the dark, but he's just revealing more layers to the mystery as we go. Um, the one thing that I I was surprised by, uh, and this is something I've been tracking. Every time we do a book in two episodes, I, I always find the end of a chapter that is as close to 50% through as possible. Um, you know, like 
sometimes it's maybe 49%, sometimes it's 53%. In the case of, uh, I think, City of Blades, it was actually like, or no, no, it was um, uh, Foundry side. Uh, it was actually like 63% through. You remember uh, that. Because <laughs> we did like, we did to the end of part two, I think, in, in Foundry side. And, and it was like, oh, actually, this is well over half the book. But uh, one of the things that has been remarkably consistent across all of our episodes, when we split a book in two and we try to make it as close to 50% as possible, we always end on a chapter with a shockingly good cliffhanger, like a mid-book cliffhanger. And that didn't happen here. If the chapter that we should have stopped at was actually 20 earlier than 50%, where the chapter ends with the revelation, the plague is back. Oh, yeah. You know, like that, the end of that chapter had so much more of a punch than the end of chapter 21, where Ling Chi is like, all right, dude, like, I'm being square with you if you're square with me, but if he comes, you know, if if the old man, if Black House comes, you know, treading on me, I'm going to tread back, you know, and it's like, yeah, like, that's that's a fairly substantial plot point, but it's nothing on uh, Mariki holding, uh, uh, holding Warden back and showing him the the signs of plague on this girl's body mm. and being terrified about it. And it like makes his mind go blank. He can't even talk, you know, uh, like that was a really intense scene. And so it, it almost felt anticlimactic reading one more chapter after that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> See, I, I don't quite have that problem. Cause I, like I said, I went like two chapters beyond before I realized, oops, uh Oh, what did I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it was still, I mean, I had momentum and I wanted to keep going. It was painful. Oh, to stop. For sure. Yeah, yeah, and and I just find it really interesting how almost always, if you stop just about fifty percent of the way through mm, a book, yeah. you're gonna stop on this big mid book cliffhanger. And this time, the big mid book cliffhanger came like at forty four percent or something like that. Uh, just just a little surprisingly early. Heck yeah. yeah! So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good after this first half of the book. Yeah, you know, let's let's get into our characters here. We have to start with Warden. Let's start with Warden. Yeah, we do. Warden. So, do you like him? I like reading him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you want to sit down and have? He's Kane in terms of how I in terms of how I feel about him. Yeah. I like reading him. I like reading him. He's all right. He's not boring. I don't find anything about him to be exciting. That's all. I definitely don't have any reason to connect with him on a level that brings a kind of investment in a character I would expect for of a protagonist, at least at this point. But I don't know. I can't place my finger on it. Polanski doesn't appear to want me to care about Warden, which is interesting. It's ballsy. It's intriguing, if I'm honest. I expect and I expect this is completely intentional. Um, He's Polanski's impressing me more with what he's not doing with Warden than what he is doing with Warden. So yeah, like as uh, I think it was my cousin Matt said on the real story episode, there are anti heroes and then there are actual anti heroes. Yeah, yeah. And Warden is an anti hero. You know, there are there are quote unquote anti heroes that are actually just heroes. You know, but they have flaws. The and and I think a lot of urban fantasy, darker, grittier fantasy wants to act like they have anti-heroes but when you really break it down they're just heroes who are human you know like you think about Locke Lamora sure it's easy 
for people to say, oh, well, he's an anti-hero. Like, look at what a what a bad person he is. He he's murdered people. He he steals. He's a criminal. Blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, but like, but Locke is bedrock a like a good dude. Like, he has a moral conscience. He has a moral code, and even his like crime side is like based in this morality and and then you get a real anti-hero like Kane or like Angus Thermopylae or like Warden who at least as far as we've seen uh, halfway through the first book like he's he's not like he didn't leave the he didn't leave Black House out of some like patriotic sense of justice for the downtrodden like it, He's, he's a jerk to everybody around him, except for maybe Adolphus. Uh, and even then, he's he's pretty prickly. Um, he, he is willingly destroying the lives of many people around him yeah. through his criminal enterprises. Like, I hope we get more context. I hope we but get more context for why. We're yeah. rooting for him because he is our main character. It's the same way with Kane, who's like, when you really dig into it, He's a violent, mass-murdering, terrible person, but we're rooting for him because he's our main character. And that takes, that, that's a really fine line to walk for a writer, and mm. Polanski's walking it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been a long fan of, and I've been bringing this up forever, you know, here on A King Out Loud, of, of using characters to spin or filter our view of protagonists using other characters to do something like that in, mm-hmm. in little moments, like for example, guardsman Wendell arriving at the scene of the little girl's body in chapter one, you know, still asking warden, well, I, I guess I should call for an agent then. I said, I guess so. You know, it's just these kinds of little, little touches. They give us the, the well, they give us what we need to feel, uh, f- get to get a feel, I should say for Kane without being, yeah, Cause he's not a particular Kane, pardon me, warden, <laughs> because he's just not a particularly open narrator, you know, like it's, he's hard to get re- a read on. He's brutal. He's cruel at times. Um, <laughs> trying to establish some boundaries with hair lip, you know, snapping the dude's fingers one at a time. He looks around and this is what, what bothered me most savoring the moment. I wrote that quote down. Yeah. Like he's not simply brutal for the f- sake of efficiency or twisted professionalism. This guy, he enjoys it in this moment causing fear but then and i have to say this kind of threw me for a loop when the girl's body shows up on his turf he's suddenly really invested in it and he's got another murdered girl's death to solve now and it makes total sense for anybody anyone normal or sane to want to get involved but with the kind of brutality we've seen from the warden so far the disparity there what's that's what's throwing me off we've had our fill of violent crime lords on this podcast i i I could believe this is some of them but warden what's I just want to know what the secret is. Why does he seem to have this one and only soft spot? Where does this only soft spot of his come from? Is there a mystery in his past? Did he let someone down? Does he feel guilt over it? Something on paper at the moment for me doesn't add up. Well, I think there there are hints of that with Celia. I, I don't. I, yeah, but she seems to be doing all right now, and it seems to be pretty. It's a pretty simple story, if heartbreaking. But I don't know if it's enough for me to to totally buy it. Um, I feel like we're going to get another reveal somewhere down the road. Maybe. Oh, oh yeah. I, I am quite certain of but, that. But hey, and then chapter 11, killing uh, Edelweid. I think I got yeah. that correctly. I'm listening to the audiobook and I have the physical here in my thing. Um, but that was cool. That was, that was a hell yeah moment. So I'm all over the place with this guy. He's hard to get a read on. I can't really feel him. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think he's a fascinating character. He's an interesting character. He's fun to read, but I don't like him. Yeah. He's definitely not plain. He's not vanilla by any yeah. sense of the word. Um, again, yeah, he just, he just has these wonderfully colorful turns of phrase. Yes, yes he does. Um, you know, and, and because he is this limited narrator, a lot of the city, a lot of the setting is being filtered through him. So we're really getting his idea of what the city's like. Um, you know, and, and to contrast, for instance, with um, Gentleman Bastards, you know, one of the things we talked about in The Lies of Locke Memora is how most of that book is from such a limited third-person point of view, but occasionally Lynch pulls out into an omniscient narrator to describe the city. And Polanski doesn't do that. He keeps this like very focused, um, you know, low camera angle, so to speak. And, mm. and I'm like, like on the one hand, it's working really well for, for what this character is like, but on the other hand, I, it leaves me a little wanting. Well, let's see where this goes. <laughs> We'll see where this goes. Anything else about uh, Warden that you want to cover? Or should we move on to, like, Ren? Uh, sure, we can talk about Ren. Yeah. Uh, Ren feels to me like... It, he's a bit of a blank slate as a character. Or, or, or maybe not a blank slate. That's not the right term. He is a false face of a character like i i do not for okay. a second buy that ren is the way he appears to be through 50 percent of this book thank I'm you i'm waiting for that twist with him thank you thank you yeah i only thought about ren and i have the, just the one written down and it's a prediction i have about him but i don't know how much i want to use the word prediction when i i feel like it's gonna in hindsight it's gonna seem really obvious of course well you guess that this kid's clearly gonna learn a little too much from Warden, a little too quickly. I think he's going to use all of his newfound skills that he's about to get from Warden to get up to some problematic stuff. I think Warden's going to hesitate to put a stop to it once he starts to grow a little attached to the kid himself, and he either needs to kill the kid to put a stop to him, which is, hello, fertile ground for self-doubt issues in the future, or the kid's going to grow into a really powerful rival. I want to see the second, but I think the first is more likely. Something's going to happen. Okay. Okay. It's not going anywhere yeah. pretty. That's what I want to say. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk about the blue crane and Celia. Yeah. Okay. Crane, old crane is my dog, though. This guy's precious. He's too precious. Yeah, I like him. Almost. I'm almost well, sus. Yeah, he's he's going to die real soon. I'm almost yeah. sus just based on how sweet he is. Like, they, like I just... I, he, mm. He's too pure. Oh, I'm not suspicious of him. I'm just, I, I'm just very much expecting him to drop dead yeah, any yeah, second because you, yeah. you can't have a character like that With, hang around yeah, in I know. a series. It, like it hurts though. It hurts though because I don't want it to happen. Yeah. And meanwhile, Celia. I don't know what to feel about Celia at all. Like, I don't know what. I'm fascinated by her. Okay. Like, we, we just haven't quite learned enough yet where so far she seems like a genuinely good person. Yes. But we get this scene back to their childhood of Warden rescuing her. <clears> and <throat> we get just the barest glimpse that like she had a traumatic childhood. Yeah. And I don't expect that trauma went without consequences. And I'm, and I'm 
waiting for something a little more substantial for me to start getting really suspicious of her. My, my main thing is that she keeps talking about how uh, she learned all the same magic as the blue crane used. You know, she used the same arts. And his whole thing was protecting Lowtown from the plague. He's dying, and the plague is coming back. Mm-hmm. And so many times, Celia's like, I don't know anything about the dark arts. That wasn't a thing that I did. Yeah. That wasn't anything I looked into. I'm wondering if she's not being totally honest, and the plague is coming back because she didn't really learn all the same stuff the Blue Crane had, and she can't keep the plague out. Well, she's already expressing a lot of doubt that she can do any, like a lot of what's going to be expected of her once he once he dies. For sure, for sure. But I I don't trust her repeated uh. um, assertions that she has nothing to do with the dark arts and that she only learned his stuff. Thou doth protest too uh, much. I also wonder if the amulet she gave oh, Gordon no. does not detect the sit like what she says it does. I oh. I I very much expect that Beaconfield is not directly involved in in the dark arts oh dude if you turn out to be right on that i'm gonna be a little irritated because that would have really caught me by surprise that would have been like a (laughs) wow moment for me Ooh, ooh. well we'll see (laughs) we'll We'll see see. if drew just ruined that for me that's good though that's good though i I don't know if i want to be right or if i want to not have ruined something for you (laughs) it's okay i'd I'd still rather see you uh victorious in a situation like that Mm. But uh, yeah, Ren, still loosely on Ren. I just, or, no, sorry, Ren, Celia. Uh, Ren, Celia, Old Crane. I don't really have anything else about the three of them. Celio's, yeah, to me, that's kind of blank slate material right there. I'm, I'm ready to, to to get what I need, to get a reason to, Warden, to root for her. Warden really frustrates me in the scenes with Celia. Yeah, I know. such a jerk to her. It's, uh, even even when he was rescuing her as a kid. like It's like the only moment I would think that Polanski approaches the level of, or just, just kind of, sheds a bit of subtlety and sees he's being a little more blunt with his character maybe a little more than needed i'm just like okay i get it warden is just yeah we get it he's not a nice guy he hasn't been for a long time even now just stop torturing this girl god damn it was hard to read yeah but but that's you know that's one of those signs of him being like a truly not good person not just like a yeah it's a hero with a you know a layer of dirt on him yeah but um other characters, do you feel like talking about Crispin or Adolphus? Uh, oh, Adolphus! <laughs> Adolphus again. I didn't have to think about him in our last episode, but he's. I feel like we've gotten a lot more of him in this. Book. Yeah, like, just... my impression of Adolphus from the short story has not fully carried through. Like, I, I feel like I think of him as a very different character now. Um, we we got a lot more of his background from the military and. I uh, like he he feels a lot more of the kind of powder keg waiting to explode yeah. in this book than <laughs> yeah. than you know him just being this sort of like dour, um, kind of low key innkeeper that I felt like he was in a drink before we die. Yeah, he. I was so surprised when I saw him or heard him. I should say at this point it was the audiobook. So distraught, emotionally distraught at the thought of Warden not mm-hmm. coming back from, um, oh God, name of the place, uh, Blacktop, uh, 
remind me, Drew. Black Tower? Hell's the name of the place. Say that again. The uh, where where warden uh, warden is taken, uh, and he visits Black the house. old man. Sorry, Black House. Black House. Thank you. For some reason, I thought it was Black yeah. Tower. He's been, yeah, and he experiences. We get to meet the old man for the first time. Uh, and 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 uh, Adolphus is emotional distress. You know, and when when you know uh, warden got back, he's like, oh, he really didn't expect me to return. And just, I was like, oh, these two really have like a like a bond. They just don't show it at all. Like like at all. Huh. Interesting. But yeah, one of those sort of like leftover military, you know, bonds closer. Yeah, to I guess sort like of thing. when you've been like, I, guess I really want to see I would love to see a flashback more, more information of their time together in the service. I expect we will. That'd be awesome. But you're right. He, he absolutely feels like just this, this, this ticking time bomb that is going to go off and be spectacular and fun and exciting and maybe horrifying, probably horrifying. There's a little bit of Sigrid in him. Oh, like oh, yeah. a, a little bit of like that sort of potential for violence. Ah, uh, yeah. It feels like a coiled yeah. spring constantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't think I have any other character notes. I do have some miscellaneous points. Um, do you have any other character stuff? No. Um. No. Nothing. Nothing about characters in particular. No. Okay. So, so yeah. Uh, miscellaneous points. I, I had a couple of notes just on the the efficiency of his world building in the early chapters. Um, like just to give you an idea of what low town is instead of telling you what sort of place it is. He has a line, you know, after uh, warden gets hurt during the fight and he's coming back, back home. And he says on the way up, my leg gave out and I had to buy a crutch off a fake cripple so I could hobble the rest of the way. Home. <laughs> like that one sentence tells you so much about what sort of place this is without without Polanski having to tell you what sort of place this is. <laughs> so subtly done. He just slid yeah. that one in there and carried on like he hadn't said anything out of the ordinary. That was good. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on the uh, on Chekhov's square parcel? <laughs> Remind me again what that is. Uh, when Warden goes up to his room and takes out his old, you know, case and gets his sword and his knives and stuff, and he takes out a little package square parcel... And he like doesn't give it a second thought and puts it back. No, I did. He, I think that one. I think uh, Polanski managed to f- slide that one completely under my radar. Mm. Yeah, nicely uh, done, dude. Of course, yeah, this is the me. box was empty now, save a thick square parcel that I had been saving since the war. I inspected it, making sure each item inside was in good condition, then put it back in the box and slid the whole thing. That must be one of those moments where I was having a really nice bead on my weld and I just kind of went in one ear and out the other. (laughs) Yeah, that one went under my radar. Nice. Yeah. um, That's for sure coming back. (laughs) Sweet. Sweet. Uh, Let's see. Do you have any miscellaneous points? uh, Well, actually, sorry. The first one, it was was a prediction I had moved earlier about Ren and <laughs> uh, uh, Warden having to go Obi-Wan on his ass. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, well, help me understand this bit of world building, perhaps. The heretics. Are they, okay. There's some sort of lower, low class. Like, Warden has some several offhand, offhand dismissive thoughts about them. Like, their supposed natural inclination towards obedience, whatever the hell that means. In Chapter 9, this is where Crispin is forced to use the, the, the eye or the jewel to clear the crowd from the scene in the the alleyway um, demon ambush. Like, what's going on with the heretics? I'm not quite understanding their place uh, and everything here. They're very racist. So, so they like, themselves, or they are like warded, like the people of Regus oh, okay. yeah, are yeah. very racist. Like, like they're 
there's clearly a lot of looking down on other ethnicities who who have come and be, become part of this cosmopolitan city but the there are still like some hardcore prejudices going on so this is legitimately just like a class issue not like a genetics issue yeah okay that's yeah. the that was so where my confusion was lying it. okay yeah. all right um yeah yeah. yeah. I was just, uh, what, just I have one, one, one liner from Warden here, you know. Uh, Adolphus asking him, what are you doing? I'm going to go visit an old friend of ours. Adolphus's one eye worked to read something from my pair. Why? I haven't had enough excitement today. Yeah. As long as, long yeah, as we yeah. keep getting cracked like that one out of Warden, he's still okay for, he's still okay with me uh, to read, I should say, for reading specifically. But this, those are, that's all my points so far coming out of the first half of Lowtown. I'm just, Really excited to get into the second half. So, uh, I I have another one. Hit me. This is on page. Oh, let's see. It's gonna be different in my uh, ebook here. Page one thirty-seven in the Kindle version. Uh, this is in chapter nineteen. When Ren and uh, or, or when Warden brings Ren to the Eerie. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, they, they go up to the door and knock, and the, the guardian doesn't react. Oh, and he... The, the gargoyle. Yeah, and there's a you know, question asked says, here. I picked sensitive. up another stone, larger this time, flung it at the guardian, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I poured ice water on my temper. There was still work that needed doing. Ren flipped his legs over the white stone. I did the same, and we looked out toward the city. So at this point, they're facing away from the tower. I like this labyrinth, Ren said. It's a maze. What's the difference? Yes. A labyrinth only has one path and ends in the center. A maze has many different paths and ends where you find a way out. I rose to greet Celia. Okay. Like, where did she just come from? Like, it felt like there was a whole paragraph missing there of, like, the door opening behind them. I vaguely... Like, Celia just appears, and they're looking away from the tower. And, and Warden doesn't react surprised. Ren doesn't react surprised. Like it just came totally out of nowhere. I was like, "What? What? Like, am I missing something?" I vaguely here? Like, recall hearing something that made me stop and go, "Oh, did I miss a line there?" And I did not rewind in this case. I did not. I just assumed this was a fault on my end. Yeah, like I, I don't know. Ah, dang that one. That one really jarred me. That's like this is. I, I totally logged that one away. To I just forgot about it until you bring that up or brought that up. I should yeah. say. Wow. Um couple of things that uh, just absolutely cracked me up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when they're going in to visit the Scryer and Guiscard. I mean, the whole scene is hilarious. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, but, but he says, Crispin wanted the best on this one, angled for Mariki. You remember her? <laughs> she would have been just starting out when they gave you the axe. Not really. They call her the Ice Bitch. He says, it was the sort of jibe I could see making the rounds among the wits at Black yeah. misogynistic and unoriginal. And then he actually meets her. And, uh, and the description, you know, she would never be called beautiful. There was too much bone where one hoped to find flesh, but she might have sneaked into handsome without the scowl that defaced her finish. To judge by her height and skin, blah, 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 you know, it goes all the way down. Um... A surfeit of physical blessings, all submerged by the raptor thinness of her frame. She looked up as the door opened, an arresting scan with eyes that custom would label blue, but that were, truthfully, virtually achromatic. 
then her focus returned to the corpse atop her table. I did not find it altogether impossible to discern the origin of her nickname. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That gives you a moment of, okay, nickname, oh, there it is again. You had to think back for it. But it rewards you for doing so. There's something about that combination of vulgarity and genteel language mm-hmm. that just cracks me up it gets me every time mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it definitely feels and, purposeful it's got a it's got a it's got a lyricism to it <laughs> in a way yeah and, and the whole scene is just full of it you know where, where she and warden are kind of talking past guiscard and he keeps trying to interject himself by asking stupid questions mm-hmm. and and you know there's there's one point <laughs> sparing a quick glance for the agent who if his head wasn't lodged completely up his ass, yeah. was grateful for the reprieve, she continued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so you get this, you, you get a feel for that scene uh, where there's this, this kind of cutting dialogue and, and razor sharp wit. And, and then they leave and she pulls him back. You stop. She ordered and it was clear enough to which of us the command referred do you know what this is? She asked, drawing my attention to the child's inner thigh and the small array of red bumps that defaced it. I tried to speak, but nothing came. Figure out what the fuck is going on, she said, her constant bitterness replaced by fear. And figure it out quick. Like that just sudden turn in the scene mm-hmm. has such an impact. Like that was great. That right that went so much harder for the momentum. It carries a lot of yeah. G's in that turn. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is soul crushing. You know. Yeah. So yeah, like I obviously I couldn't have known to have a stop at chapter twenty because I haven't read the book. Yeah. But I really wish I had had a stop at chapter. 20. In the future, if we're getting going to be uh, covering books, uh, we should just let let people ask, get some questions in the uh, ask some questions in the future and be like, hey. Those of you who have read the book, what do you think we should be stopping? Perhaps that'd be something worth considering. Maybe. But um, yeah, um, I just love that we we're also get, uh, carrying over. While you were talking, I remembered you, you made that one description, uh, that had that one quote. We're still getting a lot of Warden's brutal, his ruthless inner dialogue as he's just judging the competence of others. It's so yeah. rewarding. Like there is in a drink before we die, there is just there's this lovely passage in which he immediately recognizes an entering threat looks them over and just dismisses them in all the ways that are important like can you believe that and and you're right a lot of that's carrying over here being inside warden's head is a lot of fun and i for that reason alone i'm going to finish at least this book um well i'm going to finish the series probably for the podcast because we've heard a lot of great good things about it but even if i was just reading it on my own warden's voice enough is funny enough to carry me through so i think i want to end on that 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 was yeah yeah, uh, so I think that's everything I have for part one. Yeah, of nice this and efficient book. for this episode as well. Yeah. We we've been uh, keeping it real, real and quick. We don't have three scenes for this episode because we'll no, do we that won't. for the full book. Although I think I have one chosen already. Uh, I may have two chosen mm. already. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, but but yeah, we'll you know, t- tune in next week for that one. Uh, yeah. But let's let's do the final draft then. Cool. Okay, I'll kick us off here. Um, nothing drink, nothing in particular. Uh, 
alcohol-wise is being consumed on my end here. Um, but by my stuttering, as you can probably tell, I am overly caffeinated. I have been drinking a coffee. <laughs> um, this is, I do not remember the brand here. This is a, just a regular Keurig cup coffee with a, like a vanilla uh, flavoring in it. There's also a, this delicious white chocolate mocha coffee cream that we've been using lately. And it's just delicious. Although it makes me really thirsty. It's a lot of sugar. Uh, yeah, I there's a lot of sugar in here. The coffee is not particularly warm at this point anymore, and it's just making me want to drink a gallon of water. So, um, mm. but yeah, the, the coffee's pretty good. You know, it's it's good stuff. It's definitely good for trying to get my way through a, a 40 minute episode here without getting too obnoxious. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah, coffee for today again from Rob. All right. Well, so what Obnoxiously I have flavored here coffee. Go ahead. Is a uh, a classic. Classic craft beer. Uh, it's from Ska Brewing. It's a sour ale brewed with apples, ginger, carrots, and beets. And uh, and this one, now I drinking a smoothie. I tried to briefly, you know, kind of search through, and I couldn't actually find a description. So this this isn't as um, perfect as I thought it was, but for some reason I had the impression that breath, you know, that the the drug that mm. Warden is constantly using was Pixie's like, breath. Yeah, Pixie's breath, like that it was like purplish pink. Um I can I, see which, it. I feel like that makes sense for Pixie's breath, right? Yes, like, like like purple but, pink stars, blue, whiteness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh this beer is called Pink Vapor Stew. There oh, ooh, ooh, yeah. Yeah. That works. And that works. Yeah, I wouldn't have so, even needed the, the the explanation. That that's still pretty pretty indicative. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get a description at some point that just like explicitly says, "Oh, look at this," you know, the the pink puff of dust or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was it, it was good. You know, that that was the first thing I thought of. You know, when I was trying to rack my mind for beers that would work for this book, I was like, "Oh yeah." Oh yeah, pink vapor stew. Uh, that's nice, perfect. nice, yeah. very nice, cool. Wow, Low Town Part One. Yeah, I think that's a, a wrap for the first twenty-one chapters of this book. This has been episode, hopefully, one hundred fifty-five. Yes, uh, of Inking Out Loud. Next up, we'll be finishing up Low Town. Uh, oh my gosh! And I just realized we didn't even talk about the title change. We'll oh. have to leave that for next week. Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, next up we'll be finishing off Low Town, or as it was once called, the Straight Razor Cure. Uh, if you want to support Inking Out Loud, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Get in on all the bonus content we have there. Or if you want to make a one-time donation, uh, we have a coffee that is ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.